start to think about how you're going to go about earning their attention and gaining more of their time, which is fundamental to everything we do. I, I would say that kind of underpins my belief in human-based marketing, which is time is precious and therefore attention is priceless. Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences. You're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. I'm your host, Anushka Lokesh. Today's guest I'm super excited to introduce is Kyle Maurer, who is the VP of Digital Marketing and Gaming at Monster Energy. Hey, Kyle, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Just a regular Monday trying to stay warm. <laughs> so before we get started, I would love for you to introduce uh, yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do at, at Monster. So I'm the vice president of digital marketing at Monster. I've been with Monster for going on almost four years now. And prior to that, I've worked both at agencies and at uh, large clients in the fashion retail space, in the entertainment space working increasingly over the course of my 17, 18 years in the business in digital marketing. Amazing. So I would say probably around 2007, 2008, as the iPhone started to gain prominence and Facebook and Twitter came on the scene, I was lucky enough to be right place, right time, right age. You know, yeah. a couple of account executives and I saw Facebook, Twitter, we we're using it all day, every day, and thought to ourselves, there's an application here for businesses. And at the time we had entertainment clients, we had P, you know PR clients on the other side of the agency um, that, that our team wrapped on talent. And we thought, well, there's an application for them too. So I was lucky enough to get into this sort of at the beginning stages of when social media marketing and digital marketing really took off. Uh, and since then it's sort of been one wild ride. Yeah. What a, what a time to have a career in marketing, honestly. Right. So it, it does sound like you've you've had an extremely interesting um, and eventful career, lots of changes. What are some beliefs that you've cultivated about marketing that have shaped your, your career and the work that you do? I think the first thing would be to, to think about marketing as a relationship. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be deep and meaningful because we have different types of relationships in our lives. We have our loved ones, which are very deep and meaningful relationships. We also, on the other end of the spectrum, have relationships that are very surface level and transactional. And it's not to say that one is great and the other is bad. That's just the nature of, of relationships and the nature of people and humans. So everything in my career has inexorably kind of taken me to this point where thinking about things from a human perspective is always where I end up. And it's where I guide my team um, and those I work with to to stay focused on. And with that, it's really about making sure that everything we do from a consumer marketing perspective at Monster is focused on the end user, whether it's the people who are currently buying our products, the people we want to buy our products, but really understanding them and making a connection with them 
that goes beyond simply trying to buy the products. Interesting. I I really like that idea of having, you know, everything about marketing being about relationships, but also acknowledging that all relationships are different. So in that context, could you go a little bit deeper and kind of explain what some of the different types of relationships with consumers might look like? Sure. So you have, with every established brand, you have different layers of the audience and and how deep they're willing to go with you, how much they want to stay connected, how much of their time and attention they want to give to you. And I think that the the easiest way to think about this would be to think of the opposite ends of the spectrum. On one end, you have your hardcore loyalists. Those are people who are bought in at everything you do for the most part. They're really never going to leave unless you change your value proposition for them in some really significant material way, right? Those are people who are into everything from the, the products you're making, the new products that might come out, the events, the marketing, the experience, all that kind of good stuff. Then on the other end, you have people who are probably more of a transactional relationship. In the case of Monster, we make many different products. One of our key differentiations from a lot of our key competitors is the depth and breadth of the portfolio that we have. We have multiple brands in their portfolio, Monster, Rain, Nas, Full Throttle, True North is a new brand we're launching in the seltzer space. And then even within those brands, we have different flavors, different brand families. A lot of people don't realize that the Monster family actually has a coffee that coffee has a, a regular mainline coffee. There's a 300 milligram triple shot. There's a nitro cold brew we're launching. We make a Gatorade. It's our version of a Gatorade that has the energy blend in it. We make a non-carbonated tea. We make a zero sugar line that has nine different flavors. You know, So within that, there might be somebody who says, I really don't drink. I don't like sugar. Uh, I, I don't like sugar. And maybe I don't like coffee. I don't like the taste of it or whatever the reason might be. So they're just going to buy the ultra line, which is our zero sugar line. They're not necessarily a loyalist in the sense that I was speaking about before, but they're just bought in on the brand. What they're bought in on is this particular product that serves a particular need or want in their life. And they want to, they want to have it right. Um, If somebody else though came along and did something in that arena better than we did, they might switch. Or if somebody did something that was comparable, but lower to price, they might switch. So, The key in having a relationship with people is really understanding where they're at on that spectrum of, is it transactional or is it something that's a little bit more, I don't want to say meaningful because transactional is meaningful, right? We're filling a need for somebody, but is it, is it beyond the transactional, right? Where is somebody on that spectrum? And then you can start to think about how you're going to go about earning their attention and gaining more of their time, which is fundamental to everything we do. I I would say that kind of underpins my belief in human-based marketing, which is time is precious and therefore attention is priceless. And so how would you go about kind of assessing how much of someone's attention you would like to capture as a marketer? It starts with how much of their attention I have right now. So somebody who I don't have any attention with, I need to understand why I don't have their attention, who has their attention, why do they have their attention, you know, and what's that gap or what's the what's the overlap, perhaps, in what they're doing to what we could be doing? And I think, again, it goes back to an understanding of the nature of what the relationship could be like. You know, it, it's sort of like dating in junior high school where, you know, everybody is your, your greatest love ever. And then as you get older, you kind of realize that that's not a realistic way to go through life. Right. You sort of need to give people some time and sort of understand how things are vibing. And then you can decide if it's the greatest love of your life. 
And I think a lot of that applies to brand marketing where everybody wants to jump in and, and Gen Z is the thing right now. Like we have to have Gen Z, we have to have Gen Z. But you know, if monster were to just go in and say, we're going to go after Gen Z, I don't know that we'd be very successful because there are a lot of different ways in which Gen Z represents themselves. There are a lot of different passion points and interests and communities and subcultures and these things within that. And so it's not enough to just say, I'm going to go have a relationship with somebody. You really have to understand them and listen. And, you know, and I think, again, that goes back to any sort of human relationship that you would have is name a relationship you've been in where the other person just talked incessantly, dominated the conversation, dominated all the time, demanded all the attention gave you none. And that was me. And that was good for you. I mean, I don't think anybody would, would say, Hey, that that's a great relationship, but I'm still in it today. So part of it is as a brand stepping back and listening for a second to say, you know, what are these people talking about when I'm not around? Um, what are they doing when I'm not around? And is there some way for me to be involved in this? That's organic to what they're doing. That's not just me coming and going, Hey, guess what? I, I now sponsor the thing you love. Right. You know, and that's one thing I do love about Monster to make a little plug here is that brand got started on the grassroots. It got started by going into communities like motorsport, um, two wheel motorsport, freestyle motocross, and just passing out hats and shirts and hanging out and sort of building a rapport with people to then get to, hey, guess what? Now we sponsor Supercross, right? Or MotoGP events. So I think that's important is really to kind of step back, listen, and really understand somebody's nature before you try to engage them. Because then that first step you make to engage them is gonna be more meaningful, hopefully. It's, it's gonna come from a place of you trying to connect with them, to draw something out of them, versus you just trying to push something on them. As I, I think, I, I really love the idea of, uh, of listening and your metaphors were perfect. But so when we think about this idea of like listening to your consumer as a marketer, and I guess more broadly, what are some of the channels and, and tools you like to use to, to, to listen? Social media is one of my favorite. I think a lot of people in social media who work in social media or, or brands that are, are big in social media, I think of it as primarily a broadcast tool. And it's great for broadcast, don't get me wrong, but broadcast in social is more powerful when you do a lot of listening, when you do a lot of interaction with your communities and really understand what's working for them, what's not working for them. And your broadcast is built on that. Again, back to listening. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm hearing what the community's talking about, whether it's about my brand, whether it's about something else. And I'm going to react to that versus, hey, I'm coming in with this idea of what you guys should care about. The other thing that I think a lot of marketers don't pay a lot of attention to are some of the peripheral touch points when it comes to you know, your website. I mean, your website is a great place to look at how people are interacting with it and think about why are they doing certain things? Why are they not doing other things? And, and I'll give you an example. We, we looked at ours a couple of years ago. And realize that most people coming to the Monster Energy website, most people coming to all of our brands' websites are interested in our product and promotions. And so that was a great insight for us because then we could look at that and look at the conversations that were happening in social, which revolve a little bit more around lifestyle and some of the marketing we were doing, the sponsorships, the partnerships, and so forth. And we realized we might have audiences with two different need states or at two different you know, points in the journey with the brand. And now we can work on our websites to say, okay, 
if that's what most of the people are coming to the websites for, how do we architect our websites to be a bit more focused on product assortment, focused on the messaging around product, focused on promotional opportunities? And I don't mean promotion like buy one, get one. I just mean, you know, maybe we're doing something like our Apex Legends campaign and how do we blow that out even bigger, for example. So it really does when you talk about listening, it's about listening from all angles, not just picking one and saying, that's where I'm going to go. Because again, you, you have to remember that people use social for a different reason than people traffic on a website. So if you're only using one channel as your main mechanism for listening, then you're not really listening. You're sort of cherry picking, you know, customer service, customer care is another great one. I get a report. My team does every uh, week, every month, from the customer care team on in an Excel doc, all the questions people are asking and all the resolutions we're offering them, right? I read it because it's interesting to see how that matches up with the behaviors on the website and the conversations in social. And there's usually at least one or two things a month that we can draw out and say, you know, we just launched that new product and here's this thing. They've been talking about this on social. They've been talking about the same thing with customer care. Maybe we can address that in some way, shape or form. Maybe we should talk to the brand management team. Maybe we should talk to the sales force about, you know, how to address this at point of sale. So I think it's a, it's a multi-channel effort, but it really does focus on developing that rigor of saying, I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to do more listening. I'm going to shut up a bit more than I want to before I talk, which is very, very difficult for lots of marketers. Yes, that's very true. Um, all right. So I think we've touched on a lot of interesting ideas about how you, you know, how you approach marketing. I'd love to hear um, about how these ideas shape the work that you do um, at Monster. And if, if you have faced any challenges putting these types, uh, like putting these ideas into practice. Sure. So everything we do is built on that idea of time is precious and therefore attention is priceless. And the idea we're trying to instill within everybody in the organization, but especially within the marketing org, is the idea that somebody's attention is the most valuable currency they have. And the basis for that is time is the most finite resource any of us have. We we're born one day, we're going to die one day. And in between that, while some people may live longer than others, the reality is we only have 24 hours in every day. And of those 24 hours, most of us on average sleep, you know, six to eight hours a day. We're working or we're in school, you know, for another eight or so hours. So right there, you've got 14 to 16 of the 24 hours carved out. Now you've got another eight hours that might get filled up with things like the gym, seeing friends, doing other things. And so you start to realize just if you're in marketing, you have a small window of somebody's day to try and get their attention. It's seconds at a time. It's a couple hours in total, right? When you stack up all those different moments. And so we always try to think about, again, going back to treating people with that sort of human interest in mind, what am I going to do to earn their attention? How can I prove that I've earned attention? How can I also measure whether or not that attention led to some measurable outcome, good or bad, right? Because a bad outcome is still valuable if I can learn something from it. So everything we do is built on that. And then we try to design our strategies and our plans around that in partnership with our brand management team, our insights teams on, okay, who's buying us today? Who loves us and follows us on social today? What does that mean for, you know, how we want to grow? If we want to go after new or younger consumers, 
Um, so everything is kind of built on that model. And, and so when we do everything from campaign design to campaign measurement, it all goes back to answering those three key questions. Did we earn attention, right? What were the outcomes from earning that attention if we did? And if not, why did we not earn attention? And then if we did earn outcomes from that attention, you know, what can we draw out and build upon for a future effort? So everything we do can be very simply stated in those three questions. If, if ever there's a project where the team can't answer those three questions, we have a problem. And have you, have you, have you faced any challenges in, in doing this? Because I know marketing is always a lot of different teams working together. Um, yeah, uh, there's internal and external challenges. Yeah. You know, internally, Monster is very young in its digital uh, maturity. And with that comes certain challenges, whereas you're developing an organization and you're developing a rigor and a structure, you have people who are indoctrinated into the old way of doing things. And so there's a culture shift that has to happen and you have to create buy-in and you create buy-in with trust. And that takes time and patience. So there's that element of it. There's also the external factors. For example, not all the platforms measure attention or measure it in the same way. You have Facebook who counts a video view a certain way. YouTube counts it another way. Uh, a publisher may count it a third way. So how do you get to a place of how much attention did we earn? How much time spent with the brand did we get? That's a pretty difficult proposition. you know. And then you have other factors like the iOS updates where now you have ATT in place and I used to be able to connect, you know, attention and outcomes across different platforms and channels. I can no longer do that. And so I have to address that. And I, I by the way, I'm on board of saying that's a good thing with, with ATT. Like consumers should have more opportunity to say, yeah, I don't need you to follow me everywhere. But as a marketer, it presents with more challenges. So we're in a constant state of flux, and that's where I think the KISS method is very applicable. Just keep it simple, right? Try really hard to keep it to those three questions. Try really hard to keep it to the metrics that we can use more universally than others. Or maybe if we can't just grab them universally, there's models we can very quickly create with our data team to say, okay, we can, we can sort of filter out the noise here. Or we can sort of make everything even, Steven, across the board roughly to look at this. I think that's the other thing too, though, is marketers look for a silver bullet. Organizations look for a silver bullet from marketing. They look for the, give me the definitive answer on how I'm going to make another billion dollars. It doesn't exist. All marketing analysis and all marketing insight strategy and planning is a lot like working at the CIA. Like I, I try to get as many boots on the ground as I can. I try to infiltrate. I try to you know, give some pointers, but at the end of the day, it's the best guess I can give the same way the CIA would sit in the room with, you know, the president and everybody in the, uh, in the war room and say, I think, I think you should drop the bombs here. I think that's where the bad guys are, right? Like I, you know, the president's going to look at them and say, are you sure? And they're going to go, it's the best, you know, I'm pretty sure I feel good about my decision. Right. So my goal is always not to tell my, is to tell my team, don't say anything definitively. We don't know anything definitively. Just go in and say, based on the information at hand, this is my, my best estimate as to how we get to where we want to be. And we're going to look at it and we're going to stress test it continuously, right? We're going to admit immediately if we see something different that we didn't expect and operate more iteratively. I think if more marketers operated, operated more iteratively, they would find that they get to success faster than trying to take these long shots 
and stick to them, right? Um, and that goes back to being human, right? Any relationship you have, does that relationship stay the same for 10 years? No, it doesn't. It evolves over time. So one of the things you said, which I found super relatable, was talking about how you're measuring things across different channels, which all have different definitions of what attention might be. So have you found it helpful to have like your own definition at Monster of um, of what that is? And, and does that kind of align with like the three questions that you're always trying to answer? Yeah, we, we don't. We don't rely on the platforms in which we are operating to dictate the terms of our measurement. And I think this is something that's really important for a lot of marketers, especially younger in your career, is you don't realize the degree to which you are being sold. And I'm not here to say that you should not trust any data that comes from a partner. We, have, we work with all the big platforms. We work with great teams over there. Um, and there is a level of trust that we have that they are steering us in the right direction based on the information we're providing them. However, I'm not, my team is not so naive as to believe that they don't also have an agenda or an incentive, which is to keep us there spending money. So taking things at face value, that goes back to what we've talked about before, which is always asking questions, always trying to get back to those three core questions. Everything we do, we try to build a benchmark for, and we try to build you know, some what I'll call advanced metrics for uh, very similar to how you would think about professional sports where those teams in those leagues now have sort of their advanced metrics where, okay, that guy scores a certain amount of points per game, but based on how many minutes he plays or how much he has the ball in his hands, is that good? Is that bad? You know, let's not just take the surface level metric that got spit back to us. And so we try to do the same thing, which is, okay, Google or Facebook or whomever we're working with is telling us X. Let's run that through our filter, you know, our formulas that put a weight against everything from the objective to the KPIs we're looking at to the outcomes we saw. And then look at that campaign once we've passed it through that filter and stack it up against the other ones we see as successful to say, all right, was it really successful? You know, and, and that comes down to, like I said, the metrics, but also the benchmarking, making sure that you're benchmarking against yourself. But you're also benchmarking against not so much your competitors or the category, because those are the benchmarks you get from the partners. They'll say, oh, you beat the cat you category by 5x. Okay, but what time was I running? What was going on in the world? Like Those are the things that really matter when you're going to start looking at a digital marketing benchmarking and, and sort of measurement analysis is to say, my job is to see how much attention we could have gotten. And looking at a historical, you know, category benchmark for us, like CPG or beverage, that does, it strips away all of the, like, well, what was happening in the world at that time? Like COVID, for example, or the Black Lives Matter protests a couple summers ago. Like those are huge things happening in the world that could have a real impact on how much time is just available for me to earn anyway. Right. Let alone how much I actually did earn. Yeah. That's such an interesting point is that like, I think a lot of marketers, they are just trying to capture attention versus competitor and, and be the best in their category. But if you really come down to it, my attention is not just on, you know, the beverage category. It's like beverages, clothes, jewelry, skincare, like so many other things in terms of you know, products and, 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 and things, but also what you said more broadly, what's happening in the world. I know over the last couple of years, I've spent a lot more time listening to the news or reading the news than I have 
inter like been interacting with brands, for example. So you would have to take me away from that. Correct. Well. I have to take your attention away from something else. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. So I would love to hear um, kind of as we wrap up, um, it sounds like your team is doing really interesting work. What are what are some of the, the campaigns that you're that you're super proud of? I think the one I'm probably most proud of. Well, there's two. The first <laughs> That's would okay. be we can talk about two. <laughs> I know, but I, I don't want to be that guy who comes on here and just starts bragging about. Case <laughs> so the first would be we did a campaign at the height of COVID two years ago when it really started to hit the fan in the April, May time period. And the campaign was called Crush Quarantine. And the reason I'm proud of this is it was a total team effort to get this thing off the ground during which all of us were being sent home, trying to get our work from home setups. You know, I was in the bedroom at the time. It was before I put this nice little office out in the, the den together. And, you know, there's so to our point of attention, so many things I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, is this thing just going to like ravage us? Like, are my kids in danger? Like, what is going on in the world? And the team rallied together around this very basic idea, which was people are scared and burnt out, like just fried. And I think we can all think back to two years ago and how we felt in that spring, summer time period. We were all freaking out and fried. And we realized there was a role for Monster to play against those two things. Number one, we have products that can give you the boost you need to get through trying to do Zoom calls with four kids at home because your school got shut down, right? And trying to manage all that in one house. We also realized one of the things about our brand that people love, and this goes back to listening, is the sort of black sheep counterculture doing stuff, you know, that's kind of fun and can sometimes come off a little crazy or goofy, but it was the idea of levity, that everybody being fried and burnt out right now, all these brands were going in being like, we're going to help you guys. We're going to, we're here for you, you know? And, and we knew right away, we're like, if we go out there and say, Kumbaya, everybody's going to say, fuck off. That is not what you guys are, right? They're going to call bullshit on us right away. And we also questioned whether or not people needed that, right? Do you need, do I need Adidas or monster or, or Coke telling me to feel better right now? No. So we came at it with this campaign of crush quarantine and the idea that monster gives you the boost you need and boost could be, here's a product that can help you. You're working out at home. Okay. Here's our hydro product. That could be, here is Pat Casey, a BMX rider that we sponsor doing wheelies in his living room. Cause he's trying to figure this out just like you guys are right. He was supposed to be training for X games. And now he's doing it inside in his living room, literally the same way all of you are doing, you know, couch crunches or, you know, whatever it is that you're, you used to be able to do out in the normal world. Now you're stuck doing it inside your house with your kids and your wife or your husband or whomever there. Right. So that one I'm really proud of because it came together so quickly. And it, it was one of those things where everybody had to have a certain level of trust. Like I talked about to say, let's go do this. I'm, I'm not just talking about digital. Like The brand team had to trust us that we were saying, hey, there's an opportunity here. The sports team had to trust the brand team and us when we were saying, here's what we need you to reach out to the athletes for, or the music team, or the gaming team. So there was a great level of trust that it was exhibited. And I think it was a great example also of the listening and then applying that that clicked for a lot of people. So then the other campaign that I would say I'm, I'm quite proud of that the team executed was our recent partnership with EA for their game, Apex Legends. And that one, number one, is the most successful promotion, um, you know, 
actual retail promotion the company has, has ever done. And the second is it really unlocked, I think, within the organization, the power of gaming and esports, particularly with younger audiences and, and what culturally the significance of, of that passion point is for younger people, which, you know, Monster, you would think it's a no brainer. We're into gaming. But, you know, historically, you know, gaming was not a thing when Monster got started, unlike some of the, the newer brands that have come along in the space, G Fuel, Ghost, etc., who kind of came up as gaming was coming up monster was well established before gaming became you know pop culture the way we think of it today and so there's been some you talk about internal external um uh, factors and challenges like that's a big one is trying to get these people who have been built within an organization and a culture that was sports centric and now to have them understand that esports is a form of sport and competition hardcore the same way that freestyle moto moto gp is and then to really help them understand that from a, from a content marketing perspective, like all that gaming can unlock, it, it was really cool to see this promotion come together um, and then become what it became, which was, like I said, the most successful retail promotion that the company's ever run. Could you share a little bit more about what the, what the partnership and promotion looks like? Sure. So we did a few things. So if you were, you can still find some of them in the market, by the way, although they should be dwindling up, but we did a co-promoted can. So it had a couple of characters from the game on different cans for our monster original, our low carb, and then the ultra white, which is the zero sugar. And also on the can was a snap code and the snap code would unlock special content that we worked with EA and Snapchat on to help get people excited about buying that can, but also potentially buying more because it enticed you with, you know, the more you buy, the more you get in the game. So certain purchases could get a um, skin in the character skin in the game. More purchases could get you battle pass levels, which is the in-game currency to level up your experience. Future purchases could get you uh, weapon skins, badges, different things. So the whole idea was built around this idea that if you buy Monster, you're going to get all this value from content in the game that you would otherwise have to pay for anyway. And we're providing it to you for the cost of a can or the cost of a case. And then on top of that, we did lots of interesting partnerships with them in places like Twitch, where we did some different custom content designs with streamers using the game and people playing the game and learning how to play the game. So the whole idea was built around trying to... It, immerse people in apex into monster right so uh, ea had this idea of wanting to reach more gamers to bring them into the fold and our our response to that was well great we also want to make sure that all of the players of e of apex realize what monster is willing to do to support the community and so it was a really great and successful partnership on both fronts, I think, for both parties. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great example of um, of like listening to what consumers are wanting and what they're doing and then using elements of like partnership and digital marketing to bring together um, like a community and experience for everyone. Thank you for sharing that, Kyle. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah, we've um, well, thank you again so much for for being on the show. I think we've had a great conversation and lots of things that our that our listeners can uh can can learn from well it's been great talking to you so thanks again good luck with everything yeah thank you thanks for having me i appreciate it all right bye bye thank you so much for listening to beyond conventional marketing a brainify podcast Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. 
To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.